All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a Daily Power. Parsha Monday, March 21st. We have a brand new Torah portion. It is Shmini, and it is fantastic. This portion is so rich in content, in ideas, in drama, tragedy. As well, we have a lot of tragedy here in this week's Torah portion, um, and so there's a lot to talk about, a lot of really personal themes and life lessons as well. So let's jump right into this. Um, although you really can't understand this Torah portion without having kind of, you can't really appreciate the Torah portion without the background story, which we all know. Exodus, Sinai, Sin of the Golden Calf, Mishkan, the Mishkan Tabernacle Building Project was a national reclamation project. Straight up, it was a national project of teshuva, of repentance. After a nation sinned and, and fell with the, in, into the sin of the golden calf, this was an opportunity for them to use gold, not for a, uh, a, an idolatrous purpose, not to serve idols, but to serve God. They used their gold, their silver, their copper, their other materials. They used their know-how and their talents and their skills. They used them all to create a home for God. And as we've been detailing over the last few months, the people responded with absolute love and dedication and generosity, and they gave and they gave and they built and they built and everything was constructed. They brought it to Moses. Moses puts it up. And there were seven days of inauguration. We just read this last week. Seven days of inauguration. Every day, Moses assembled, and every night Moses disassembled the Mishkan. He put it up in the morning. He took it down at night. And every day he brought sacrifices on behalf of the Kohanim, anointing them, inaugurating them, clothing them, dressing them, etc. Every day for seven days, they were doing this inauguration. I don't know why I did that. Whatever, inauguration. Oh, I know. I was going to do practice run because who am I to say it's a practice? Maybe it was part of the actual protocol. Either way, seven days of inauguration. And then opening day. Opening day is the first of Nisan 2449. The Torah calls it the eighth day. It's the first day. But it's the eighth day after the seven days of inauguration. Seven plus one is eight. Enter Kabbalah. Kabbalah explains that seven is always synonymous with nature. Eight is always synonymous with the supernatural. Why? God created the world in seven days. There are seven heavenly realms, seven spherot, seven uh, uh, divine energies, seven kochot and nefesh, power, emotive powers of the soul. Seven is connected with the natural organism of life. Eight is the one that transcends the natural order. Eight is seven plus one. It's the one that's above. That's why, not coincidentally, the, the symbol for infinity is an eight sideways. Think about the symbol for infinity, right? It's that never-ending loop, also known as the eight Sideways. Why sideways? I have no idea. But it's, it's, the, it's the number eight. Eight is symbolic of transcendence. Thus, it is very fitting that the day that God comes down to earth in the, temp, in the Mishkan, in other words, where the, divine, the infinite divine presence 
is, uh, finds a home in a finite space, which is the confluence of infinite and finite in the same space, which, by the way, is bigger than infinite or finite. When infinite and finite collide as one or, co or coexist as one, that's a greater expression than infinite in and of itself. Because infinite that can't, that can't find itself in a finite space is still limited to the realm of infinity. But when you have infinite within a finite space, then you're really dealing with something truly infinite. That's what we would call true infinity. And so what we have here is a very, um, a very important idea that there's a reason why this is called day number eight and not day number one. You know, it's not just because seven days of inauguration, the next day is eighth day. You can call it day one, seven days of inauguration, day one, opening day. No, it's called day eight because eight symbolizes, eight evokes this idea of supernatural, of infinity, not only infinity, true infinity, that's not even limited to the idea of, of infinity, the infinite and the finite colliding in a space, which is what the, the temple, what the Mishkan was all about. It was a space 150 feet by 75 feet within which housed the infinite God. An infinite God in a finite space? Yes. That doesn't make any sense. Exactly. That's where true infinity lies. True infinity lies in the confluence, the convergence of the infinite and the finite in the same space. As our sages say, the makam ha'aron enamin hamida. When back in the day in the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, at least, the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies, was a room, was a, a decently sized room. In the middle of the room was the ark. And the Talmud says, if you measured from one wall to the other wall, I think the measurement was, I want to say the measurement was like 20 amot long. It was 20 amot from one wall to the other. I think so. Um, or maybe 10. I'm, I'm forgetting the measurements exactly. But if you would measure, so if you measure from one wall to the other, you would have whatever number that was. If you measure from one wall to the beginning of the ark, and then you measure from the other wall to the other side of the ark, and I was not including the space of the ark, so one wall to the ark, the other wall to the ark, I think it was 20 total, and then it was 10 and 10. You with me on this? So it was 20 total from one wall to the other, and then in 10 and 10, not including the ark, but the ark took up space, which leads our sages to say that that the space of the ark didn't take up space. It had space, but it didn't take up space. How do you have something that has space and doesn't take up space? doesn't make any sense. That's, that's, that's where you find God. You find God in the paradox, in, in, in the impossibility of space and non-space converging. Okay, now that we've got the trippy metaphysics out of the way, let's jump into the, uh, to the reading. Yes, Donna. I thought of another insight. So we call it eight also because it's not just practice, as you said. You know, the whole thing of planning the Michigan and building it and then prepare. That's all part of the mitzvah. Right. Like we prepare for Shabbos. Yes, yes. Right. It's all part of it. And as we said, as I mentioned on Shabbos, the hachana, the preparation, is not just whatever we need to prepare, but it's also sacred. Preparation is right. also That's sacred. What, right, yeah. Right. So is this, do we, is it meaningful, the infinity symbol for us? Or we don't really? I don't think it's, I don't think the symbol is considered to be a sacred symbol, but it's, it's an interesting well, not, little yeah, insight. It's not sacred, I know that, but I mean... It would be meaningful. I mean, for, thank you for a piece of jewelry. <laughs> I, right. I, I figured you were asking. Um, I haven't... Jewel, s uh, sorry? No, just a jeweled eight would be lovely. There you go. 
Done. You already you already got a customer, so then well, you don't even need me. You have a customer, you're good. <laughs> All right, good. Let's jump in. Let's see some verses. This is a very dramatic Torah portion. So Leviticus, oh, interestingly enough, it's chapter 9, but again, the chapters don't really mean much. Chapter 9, verse number 1. And it was on the eighth day. Thus the Torah portion begins. It was on the eighth day. Again, Torah portion is called Shmini, 8. It was on the eighth day that Moses summoned Aaron and his sons, his brother and his nephews, the Kohanim, and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, he said to his brother, who would be the high priest, take for yourself a bull calf as a sin offering. Take a bull as a sin offering. By the way, all seven days of inauguration, there was a bull that Moses brought on behalf of Aaron and his sons as a sin offering. So again, eighth day or day number one of the opening. So take for yourself. This time you're going to do it. Moses was doing the service for seven days. Now Aaron, brother. I don't know if you call him brother. But anyway, Aaron, now it's your turn. So take a bull, a young bull, uh, a bull calf, a young bull as a sin offering, and a ram as a burnt offering. All of those were brought in the previous seven days as well. Both should be unblemished and bring them near before the Lord. That's always a euphemism. Near before the Lord means in front of the Mishkan tabernacle covered building outside in that space. And to the children of Israel you shall speak, saying, Take a he goat as a sin offering. This is new. This is brand new. Didn't happen in the seven days of inauguration. Take a he goat, a male goat, as a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both in their first year and both unblemished as a burnt offering. So take a sin offering and a burnt offering and an ox and a ram as a peace off as peace offerings. Wow, so we got the full suite here. This is like a full, uh, uh, what's it called in uh, playing cards? A full house? Uh, whatever. So it's, like, it's got everything. We got a sin offering. We got uh, burnt offerings, a calf and a lamb. We have now an ox and a ram as peace offerings. We got one of each to slaughter before the Lord. And a meal offering. Oh, there you go. Just in case you were missing the flour. There we go. And a meal offering mixed with oil. All of that should be brought. For today, the Lord is appearing to you. In other words, God is coming down into the Mishkan today for the first time. For seven days, they offered offerings, but the fire didn't come down from heaven. As you may know, we, I think we've talked about this before, the altar had human fire or whatever, not human fire, that sounds weird, um, fire that was stoked by wood, by human beings, but it also had a divine fire that came from above. For seven days, there was no divine fire, just the fire created by the human beings. Today, Moses tells his brother and his nephews, today the Lord is appearing to you, you're going to see the magic happen. All right, and they took what Moses had commanded to the front of the tent of meeting. Right, again, they took it to the front of the tent of meeting was that covered building, inside of which was the menorah, the inner altar, the showbread table, inside of which on a, in a deeper chamber was the Ark of the Covenant. So basically, they, they took these animals to the front of the tent of meeting and the entire community approached and stood before the Lord. Hey, Mark, good to see you. And Moses said... This is the thing the Lord has commanded. Do it, and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. And Moses said to Aaron, Approach the altar. Karav el get close to the altar, approach the altar, and perform your sin offering and your burnt offering, atoning for yourself and for the people, and perform the people's sacrifice, 
atoning for them as the Lord has commanded. We, we, we just read all this stuff, right? There was a bull, there was a bull calf as a sin offering, a ram as a burnt offering. All of that was for Aaron, take for yourself. And for the, on behalf of the people, there was also a he goat as a sin offering and a calf and a lamb as a burnt offering. So, uh, and there were also peace offerings and a meal offering, fine, on behalf of the people. But the point is that Moses tells Aaron, now it's your time, go to the altar. Approach the altar. And the commentators explain, Rashi says, that why did Moses have to tell Aaron, approach the altar? Because Aaron was afraid to approach. Everyone is standing, all the an- everyone's standing around watching, all the, an- the animals are ready, everyone's there, and he's getting cold feet. Why did he get cold feet? Aaron. Why did Aaron get cold feet? Not exactly cold feet in the uh, traditional sense, but he was afraid, and he was a little bit embarrassed. He was afraid of his participation in the sin of the golden calf. He was afraid of being the one now to be, to be the Kohen Gadol, the big kahuna, the, the high priest, to now offer the offerings, the sin offering, atonement offerings on behalf of the people. He felt like he perhaps wasn't worthy. You know that phrase, imposter syndrome? On some level, at this point, Aaron freezes up with imposter syndrome. And Moses tells his brother, Krav el approach the altar, you can do this. You got this. And there's a beautiful Rashi on this, which we'll read right now, um, that, uh, that clarifies this. Moses had to order Aaron to do so, to approach the altar, because Aaron was bashful and afraid to approach the altar. There's two, two phrases, bashful and afraid. They mean different things. Bashful means a little bit embarrassed. Afraid means a little bit scared. Two different emotions. Bashful could be because, like, maybe you don't want to be looked at by everybody. Maybe you don't want to be, you know, the one in charge. Afraid is because of the sin of the golden calf. So Moses said to him, he said to his brother, why are you ashamed? He's only addressing the first one. For this function you've been chosen. In other words, this is l'kachn of This is what you're chosen for. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Step up. This is your calling. That's one explanation. Another explanation of, of, of the meaning of this Rashi, you've been chosen for this, is for, not for this function. For this shame, you've been chosen. In other words, the fact that you don't want this, this position of leadership, the, the fact that you're, you're embarrassed to be the one to get in front of the people and, and do the service, that itself makes you worthy of it. Because it shows that you're not a person filled with ego, that you're not in it for your own glory. If you were like, yes, I got this. Finally, my day to stand up in front of everybody and, and shine. If that was your perspective, then we would be worried. Then we would be worried. The fact that you're embarrassed to do so, that doesn't worry us. What would worry us is if you were loving this. If you were loving it as an ego trip, that would be concerning. The fact that you're embarrassed and apprehensive, that's exactly why you're the man for the job. And that's what Moses himself went through. Moses himself, exactly. Moses exactly can relate. Okay, now let's continue. So after we have this charge, this pep talk from Moses to Aaron in verse 7, verse 8, and Aaron responds. So Aaron approached the altar yeah, and slaughtered his sin offering calf. That was that bull calf. And Aaron's sons brought forward the blood to him. Again, this is the first time that the actual priests are doing the service. Until now, it's been Moses. Training wheels are off. We're up and running. Aaron's sons brought, brought forward the blood to him of this sin offering. 
and he dipped his finger into the blood, placing some in the horns of the altar, and he poured the blood at the base of the altar. As you recall, a sin offering, the blood gets applied to the outer altar. And the fat, the kidneys, and the diaphragm with the liver from the sin offering, he caused to go up in smoke on the altar. As the Lord had commanded Moses, all these parts of the sin offering get burned on the outer altar. And he burned the flesh and the hide in fire outside the camp, as is the protocol, as you guessed it, for a sin offering. Remember, the rest of the animal or parts of the animal are burned outside the camp in a clean place next to where the ashes are removed when the ashes are removed. And he slaughtered, so that was the sin offering. And then Aaron slaughtered the burnt offering. That's his personal burnt offering, uh, or on behalf of him and, his, and the Kohanim, the priests. And Aaron's sons presented the blood to him once again, and he dashed it on the altar around. And they presented the burnt offering to him in its prescribed pieces along with the head. Remember, the burnt offering, the whole thing is burnt. They cut it up, whatever. And he caused them to go up and smoke on the altar, and he washed the innards and the legs, and he caused them to go up and smoke on the altar, because again, it's a burnt offering. Everything is burnt in different stages, but it's all burnt up, along with the, he, he caused them to go up and smoke on the altar, along with the burnt offering, and others along with the rest of the animal. And he brought forward the people's sacrifice. Okay, remember the people also had a sacrifice. What did they have? We're scrolling back up. They had a... He goat as a sin offering, a calf and a lamb as a burnt offering, an ox and a ram as a peace offering, and a meal offering. Okay? So now let's get back inside. So now Aaron brought forward the people's sacrifice. He took the people's sin offering goat. That was the first thing that was mentioned. Slaughtered it and made it a sin offering like the first one, like his own personal uh, bull calf sin offering. He offered the people's goat offering. And he brought forward the burnt offering and prepared it according to the law. Fairly straightforward. This is opening day. Things are rocking and rolling. All seems to be humming along at a pretty, uh, pretty decent pace. Now, we're going to jump to reading number two. And we're going to wrap up this conversation or this story, the narrative about how all the sacrifices kind of uh, went off without a hitch. And then tomorrow we're going to deal with the, tomorrow we're going to deal with the drama. Okay. All right, here we go. Leviticus chapter, yes. Can I ask you something? Sure. It occurs to me that Aaron and his sons did not own land or animals as Kohanim. Uh, so I could see why the other sacrifices, the people were indeed sacrifices. The people had to give that up to God. But in this case, Aaron would have had to take it from the people to begin with. He, was, he made it his offering, but still... Is that, so how is that a sacrifice? That's a, my question. It's a good question. The My question would be, and I, I don't know that I know for sure the answer to this, but I, I suspect that that, that law, that, that um, protocol of Kohanim and Levim not owning land applied to the land of Israel, right? I don't know that it means that they were stripped of possessions when they became Kohanim now because they, went, they left Egypt with the rest of the Jewish people. They had possessions like the rest of the people. The question is, were, were they formally kind of stripped of all possessions at this point, at this stage? I'm not sure. But you're asking a good question. But I, 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 don't, I don't have the answer to that. I don't have the answer. Um, okay. 
I, I have to conclude in, I have just a few more minutes. I'm on a bit of a tighter schedule today. I have a, something I need to step into. So I just want to read re, the second reading to catch up, to get um, current for today. And then tomorrow we're going to go a deep dive into the drama that unfolds. But until now, everything is, is pretty calm. Let's continue Leviticus chapter 9, verse 17. And our, he means Aaron here brought forth the meal offering. For the people, filled his palm with it. That means the kamitza, the three-fingered uh, fistful, and caused it that amount of uh, um, of flour with oil caused it to go up and smoke on the altar. In addition to the morning burnt offering, and he slaughtered the ox and the ram. That was the people's peace offering. And Aaron's sons presented the blood to him, and he dashed it on the altar around. And they also presented the fats from the ox and from the ram, the tail, the fatty covering, the kidney. The kidneys and the diaphragm with the liver, remember, ram is from the sheep family, and that's always when the tail, that's when the tail gets involved. And they placed the fats on top of the breasts, and he caused the fats to go up and smoke on the altar. So those are all the parts of the, of the, um, uh, the peace offering that are burnt on the, uh, on the altar. And Aaron had, Aaron had already waved the breasts and the right thigh as a wave offering before the Lord, as Moses had commanded, and this was something unique to the priestly inauguration. And Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. Upon, upon concluding the sacrificial service, he lifts his hands up and he blesses the people. He then descended from preparing the sin offering, the burnt offering, the peace offering. In other words, he finished the offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. All this happened outside the building. It all happened in front of the people in plain view. All the, the, the sacri- all, all the animals are slaughtered and the, the blood is taken. It's dashed around the altar. It's burnt on the altar. Whatever is done all happens outside, under the sky. Then Moses and Aaron went into the building, into the tent of meeting, into the covered building. Then they came out and blessed the people. And finally, finally, after a long time, almost one year after the exodus, the glory of the Lord appeared to all of the people and... The divine presence rested upon this tabernacle that they had all pitched in to build. Let's look at just a few quick Rashi's here at the end. He blessed them. What did, what did he bless them with? Rashi says, listen, when, when Aaron lifts his hands up to the people and blesses them, what does he say? He blessed them with the priestly blessing, the birkas kohanim, the blessing of the kohanim. Yivarech Hashem Yishmerecha, Yar Hashem Panavelecha, Vichuneka, Yis Hashem Panavelecha, Yis Hashem Panavelecha, Vyasam Chashalam. Right? May the Lord bless you, may the Lord make his face shine, and may the Lord lift his face. That is the blessing that Aaron blessed the people with. And even to this day, when the priests bless the people, they lift their hands, they actually do the old Vulcan, not the Vulcan, right? I mean, that's what it's become. But they do this with the hands, they do this with the other hand, they put them together to form five parts one, two, three, four, five, and they hold it on their talit. And they, they, they lift their hands um, under their talit. They cover their faces. They bless the people. We do it in the diaspora. At least our custom is to do it on the major holidays. Um, in Israel, they do it every day. Every day, uh, you go to the Western Wall, you'll get the priestly blessing every single day. Um, they went into the building. They came out of the building. And they, they, uh, they blessed the people. And let's conclude here. And then I'm going to run. They said... Moses and Aaron together blessed the people, and they said, may, it, may the pleasantness of the Lord our God be upon us. May it be God's will that the Shekhinah, divine presence, rest in the work of your hands. And why did they choose this blessing? Because throughout all seven days of the investitures, that's seven days of inauguration, when Moses erected the Mishkan, performing the service in it, and dismantled it daily, as I mentioned at the top of today's lesson, the Shekhinah did not rest in it. 
There was no fire from heaven. There was no divine presence. The Israelites were humiliated. And they said to Moses, Moses, our teacher, all the efforts we have taken were so that the Shekhinah, divine presence, should dwell among us, so that we would know that we have been forgiven for the sin of the golden calf. In other words, they were like, we did all this work. We donated all this gold. We built all this stuff. And it doesn't work. Where is God? God's not here. They felt they were crestfallen. They were heartbroken. Therefore, Moses answered them, this is the thing the Lord has commanded. Do it and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. My brother Aaron is more worthy and important than I. So when I did it for seven days, that was a practice run. No more air quotes for me. That was the practice run. Insofar as through his offerings and his service, the Shekinah will dwell among you. It's only going to be through Aaron's service today on day one or day eight, but opening day, that's when the Shekinah is going to come down and you will know that the Omnipresent has chosen him. That was the ultimate thumbs up for Aaron's leadership. And the ultimate thumbs up that he had been forgiven for the sin of the golden calf is here where we see that indeed it's through his efforts on that eighth day when he brought the sacrifices, finally, finally that is when the Shekhinah, the divine presence, rested upon the people and upon the Mishkan and everything worked. All right, that's it for today. I, got, I have to run, so my apologies. Um, I, we're going to do more discussion tomorrow. Tomorrow we should have a full session. Um, also, tomorrow we get into the major tragedy that happens. Right after this extreme high and joy and celebration, everything absolutely tanks with the devastating loss of Aaron's two oldest sons, Nadav and Avihu. That's coming up tomorrow. We're going to learn about that, the tragedy, why it happened, how it happened, where it happened, all the details. That's coming up tomorrow. All right, thank you for joining today. Again, it's called a teaser. It's a teaser. Listen, it's not my teaser. The Torah teases it. I'm just, I'm following the cliffhangers. That's it. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Um, don't forget, tonight we have the Parenting Masterclass. Tomorrow is DPP. Tomorrow night is You Be the Judge. And the week unfolds. Thursday night, check this one out, The Joy Factory. Uh, if you're not yet signed up for that, you're definitely going, going to want to take part of that. It's going to be an amazing opportunity to infuse ourselves, to learn happiness skills. That is, in other words, don't worry, be happy. I don't know about the don't worry part. We can be, all use a little bit more joy in our lives. Thursday night, 8 p.m. on Zoom. Check it out. Intownjewishacademy.org slash joy or just go to the homepage. It's up there. All right. We'll see you all soon. Take care, everybody. Shalom. Bye.